As soon as you give politicians power, any kind of power that didn't exist previously, if they can figure out a way to force you into carrying something that lets you enter businesses or lets you do this or lets businesses open, historically, they are not going to give that power up. They find new reasons to use it. I'll do that. We have to protect those freedoms at all costs, whether you agree with people's choices or not, because it is the foundation that this country was founded on, freedom. This idea of freedom, there's so many people that think it's frivolous, it's not important, it's not the main thing that we should be focused on, but it is the literal structure that allows this country to be so fucking amazing. Every single country that's ever existed other than the United States, up until 1776, every fucking country that has ever existed was run by dictators, all of them. This is the first experiment in self-government that actually worked, and it created the greatest superpower the world's ever known. It created the greatest cultural machine, the greatest machine of art and creativity and innovation right fucking here. And how did it do that? It did it through freedom. And as soon as you see something, anything that comes along and inhibits your freedom, you should be very cautious about that. You should be very suspicious. Because anything that comes along that can inhibit your freedom is, by definition, anti-American. Definitely a unique intro for me today. Please excuse the F words from our Mr. Rogan. Um, I will have to click the explicit button on a podcast episode for the first time. Since I've started. So, anyway, sorry, once again, excuse that. With that said, that was something that actually two friends of mine shared with me over Instagram. And uh, I was uh, happy to see it because I think he he made a lot of good points. And it's a topic I've kind of touched on before on this podcast. And I wanted to give an intro for it because today I'm talking with a friend of mine who's a nurse in the covid or sorry, she's not in the COVID unit, but she's worked in the ICU before. She's very familiar with that system and how it works. Some of the hospitals are getting overrun. Utah is having a spike again. With that said, I think it is kind of on the decrease, but I could be wrong. I did not ask her about that. Elsie Wong, who joins us later in in the episode. Um, She gives a lot of insight, though, that is lost on some of us. It's certainly, uh, I I was not... confronted with a lot of what she had said before and it was enlightening in a lot of ways um with that said we we both agreed that you know it's the whole concept of giving up freedom for security is a uh it's a slippery slope and that's a lot of what joe rogan was talking about in that clip that i shared at the beginning so this is gonna be a longer intro um but first off i hope you all are doing well and i hope you've had a good week and i hope you're looking forward to the weekend I love these fall days. I'm a big fan of autumn. Even even when it's cloudy, even when it's cold, even when it's in like the 50s or 60s, it's just beautiful. I don't know what it is about it, but I love it. I know it's like the impending doom because winter is coming, but I don't care. I like to I like to enjoy the seasons when I'm in the midst of them, and I fall is no exception to that. Anyway, um, I'm pretty sure we've all heard the quote, those who sacrifice freedom for security deserve neither freedom nor security. Uh, that was essentially given by Benjamin Franklin. And I say essentially because it's actually been reworded a little bit here and there. It's certainly been recontextualized, with this, which is something I figured out kind of in the process of thinking about what to write for this intro. So apparently the context of Franklin's quote is lost and some 
is kind of lost to us now. And somehow that discredits how people use it today. That's kind of the argument that some of the academics are making, which kind of bothers me. But it was some from sort of some, sorry, it was from some sort of tax dispute involving a very wealthy family that didn't want to be taxed in order to fund the French and Indian War. Franklin subsequently wrote this line, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Benjamin Wittes, who was the one that kind of put that into context, he's the man crediting kind of finding the what actually took place there. He dismisses the idea that freedom versus and security do not have to coexist as some sort of balance, meaning we can't have one without sacrificing the other. But honestly, Benjamin Wittes is wrong, at least in part, I think. I don't want to get into the argument that in order to have either freedom or security, you must sacrifice the other. There are times when the two can certainly coexist. They can kind of work in tandem. But Wittes is wrong within the idea that you can't sacrifice freedom in order to feel more secure because you absolutely can, and that's absolutely what we're seeing. Not only is that the battle we're fighting right now with all these COVID lockdowns, uh, these these new measures and mandates, we fought this battle since our existence. Now, I think most of you probably know what I'm talking about. This is what's so amazing about the gospel, honestly. that There was this guy, right? Let's call him Satan. Who came to everyone and said, I'm going to take care of all of you. None of you have to worry about a thing. Don't worry about having to be responsible for your own actions or decisions. I will personally see to it that anything you do will not be held against you. But there's a catch. You really can't make any of your own decisions. In fact, because I'm advocating for you and I'm going to be your ultimate savior, I'm going to have to make sure you follow my rules exactly. You don't have a choice but to do exactly what I say. But that won't be a problem. Because again, I'll be the reason why you're saved. I'll be your king. There's an obvious conundrum, a real absurdity with what Satan is claiming here. He actually has no power to take away anybody's agency. He never did. You know, he made that as an argument. He he wanted to say, I can do that because that's how I'll protect you. But in fact, that was never actually in accordance with the laws of nature. It was impossible. We were always going to have agency. It didn't matter. In fact, he deceived all the other sons of perdition that the thought is, do I need to say sons of daughters of perdition now? Is that the world we're living in? Is it 2021? Is just like killing us? Like all the other sons and daughters of perdition? Anyway, whatever. He deceived all of them, the SOPs, if you will, that thought his policies were going to get them where they wanted. They've had agency this whole time. That was never taken away from them. I would assume like as much agency as any spirit could have. That also exists within the laws of nature. He's never been able to take that away from them. If Satan actually had power to control the agency of others, he would have done that a long time ago, and we would have never actually been able to come to this earth in the first place, or at least not under the auspices that we now enjoy. We've been fighting the same battle throughout all of history. And one of my favorite speeches in the Book of Mormon is given by King Mosiah, Technically, King Mosiah II, the one that came right after Benjamin. His father was Benjamin. He mentions Benjamin in the speech. It's at the very end of Mosiah. It's Mosiah 29. starts in verse 6. And he says to them, I'm going to read kind of a lot of verses here, so bear with me. Now I declare unto you that he to whom the kingdom doth rightly belong has declined and will not take upon him the kingdom. He's talking about his son Aaron and, more specifically, all his other sons, all his other sons' sons. I don't edit these things, as you can tell. So here, you just get into the raw version. Omni, Himner, and Ammon, obviously, all chose not to be 
kings, which is a fascinating subject in and of itself. But Mosiah keeps going in verse 7, he says, And now if there should be another appointed in his stead, behold, I fear there would rise contentions among you. And who knoweth but what my son, to whom the kingdom doth belong, should turn to be angry and draw away a part of this people after him, which would cause wars and contentions among you, which would be the cause of shedding much blood and perverting the ways of the Lord, yea, and destroy the souls of many people. He's even saying like, hey, my sons are not exempt here. You know, it's very likely they'd be good kings, but we don't know that for sure. Even Mosiah is admitting that because power does some crazy things to people. He continues in verse 8. He says, Now I say unto you, let us be wise and consider these things, for we have no right to destroy my son. Neither should we have any right to destroy another if he should be appointed in his stead. In verse 9, And if my son should turn again to his pride and vain things, he would recall the things which he had said and claim his right to the kingdom, which would cause him and his also this people to commit much sin. And now let us be wise and look forward to these things, and do that which will make for the peace of this people. Therefore, I will be your king the remainder of my days, because obviously he has a great track record, so why not continue that? Which he certainly does, and his whole thing was, right, service. He was he was in the field working with the people. I was very clear about that, because King Benjamin, his own father, kind of set that tone. Nevertheless, let us appoint judges to judge this people according to our law, and we will newly arrange the affairs of this people for we will appoint wise men to be judges that will judge this people according to the commandments of God. Now it is better that a man should be judged of God than of man, for the judgments of God are always just, but the judgments of man are not always just. Therefore, if it were possible that you could have just men to be your kings who would establish the laws of God and judge this people according to his commandments, yea, if he could command, if he could have men for your kings who would do even as my father Benjamin did for this people, I say unto you, if this could always be the case, then it would be expedient that you should always have kings to rule over you. So Mosiah here is obviously saying, look, listen, like if we were all righteous, if this was all kind of this utopia, this it was kind of the, this amazing society, God-like society that we lived in, sure, king would be fine. That'd be great because we could always trust it. But that's not the case. And, he's, and he continues in verse 16. He says, now I say unto you that because all men are not just, it is not expedient that she, ye should have king or kings, a king or kings to rule over you. For behold... How much iniquity doth one wicked king cause to be committed? Yea, and what great destruction. Yea, remember King Noah, his wickedness and his abominations, and also the wickedness of and abominations of his people. Behold, what great destruction did come upon them, and also because of their iniquities they were brought into bondage. King Noah is an amazing citation that Mosiah is bringing up here. King, or king Noah was the son of Zenith, right? Zenith goes off trying to reconquer, retake the land of his fathers. It even said Zenith was overzealous. Not many times do we see that used in the scriptures. Zealous is good. Being overzealous is not good. That may have taken a toll on the raising of his own son, King Noah. And King Noah obviously raised as a brat. Really did some awful things as a king. In one generation, you had one king, Zenith, who was honestly a pretty good king. I think he was a pretty righteous guy for the most part. But he just had his idiosyncrasies that played out in parenting and apparently raised a, a terrible person, King Noah. But... Zenith was probably a good guy, but in one generation, boom, snap of the finger, all of a sudden, it's terrible. That's it. You see the same thing play out in Ether. The brother of Jared and Jared didn't want any of their sons to be a king. It says that explicitly. All of their sons said no, except for one of Jared's sons. I think it was the youngest. I'm the youngest. I can relate to that. Give me a chance to be king. Yeah, I'd take it for sure. And it actually says that the brother of Jared and Jared 
the word it used in the Book of Mormon was that this was grievous unto Jared and his brother, that one of the sons actually did choose to be king. Now, granted, that king, that son, actually did reign in righteousness. Boom, one king later, all of a sudden unrighteousness, and it was terrible. Obviously, we saw how that played out with the rest of the Jaredites. Anyway, the point being that kings often can result in complete turmoil and debauchery of the people. Anyway, so Mosiah citing King Noah here, talking about that. Very, very relevant for their time because the fallout from King Noah was actually Alma the Elder, who became great personal friends with Mosiah. So I'm sure he told them all about that. People living in bondage for years because of terrible actions and decision makings and selfishness of one king. In 21, he continues and he says, And behold, now I say unto you, ye cannot dethrone an iniquitous king, save it be through much contention and the shedding of much blood. For behold, he has his friends in iniquity, and he keepeth his guards about him. And he teareth up the laws of those who have reigned in righteousness before him, and he trampleth under his feet the commandments of God. And he enacteth laws, and sendeth them forth among his people, yea, laws after the manner of his wickedness, of his own wickedness. And whosoever doth not obey his laws, he causeth to be destroyed. And whosoever doth rebel against him, he will send his armies against him to war, and if he can will, and will destroy them. And thus an unrighteous king doth pervert the ways of all righteousness. And now behold, I say unto you, it is not expedient that such abominations should come upon you. Therefore choose you by the voice of this people, judges, that you may be judged according to the laws. He introduces this idea of the judges, right? Which is not the first time we see that in the scriptures. We see that in Samuel as well. I want to say First Samuel. When Samuel was talking to the Jews and he was saying, hey, how do you want to do this? And the Jews are saying, we want a king. And he goes, well, I don't think you should. God says you shouldn't. And they're like, no, 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 tell them we want a king. We want a king. So he goes to God, and God says, no, they can't have a king. Set up a different system. So he goes back to the Jews, and he says, nope, you shouldn't have a king. And they're like, no, 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 we insist on having a king. Samuel goes back to God. God says, all right, fine, give him a king. Saul, pretty good guy. Let's have him do it. We didn't even see Saul last in his whole lifetime. Saul turned on David. He became extremely jealous, and he was the king, so he was able to exercise very unrighteous dominion over his people and of David, and it just ended horribly. Then David becomes king, and that also doesn't end out too well. And then Solomon, right, also doesn't end up too well. Anyway, you see the point. Just listen to God, have a series of judges. But the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because Mosiah's points here are so prescient for today, because somehow we're insisting that we be ruled over by more people as if these people know what the hell they're doing. But they slowly seem to be taking away our freedoms. And that's exactly what it goes against in the Book of Mormon. That's exactly what it goes against in the Gospel, right? We're supposed to have a series of judges, I guess. Supreme Court, I don't know how that works, but ultimately that's not really the last stand. We have executive orders and all sorts of things going on that are causing our freedoms to be taken away, which shines an interesting light on where we're at as a people. And it makes me wonder why people choose to be ruled over in the first place. And I can't help but think that it's, like, I don't know what you would call it, some sort of genetics within our spirits that have a desire to be ruled over so that we don't have to have our own agency and our own choices fall upon our own heads. That maybe we can blame those that make the decisions for us above us We can blame them for all our problems as opposed to us being responsible for our own actions. I'm not sure the explanation. All I know is I don't like it. 
and it's a problem. And Mosiah is saying some amazing things here. He talks about the sins of the people in verse 31. For behold, I say unto you, the sins of many people have been caused by the iniquities of their kings. Therefore, their iniquities are hands upon the heads of their kings. So maybe that's why. I don't know. And now I desire that this inequality should be no more in this land, especially among this my people. But as I, but I desire that this land be a land of liberty, and that every man may enjoy his rights and privileges alike, so long as the Lord sees fit that we may live and inherit the land, yea, even as long as any of our posterity remains upon the face of the land. Beautifully put by Mosiah. Even people like Joe Rogan get it. That slowly but surely, our freedoms seem to be taken from us, all under the guise of security, when in reality, if we're choosing security over freedom, we really don't deserve either. And we'll have our comeuppance eventually. Anyway, just wanted to share that. Sorry, that took a little bit longer than I had originally planned, but I thought it was relevant because we kind of talk about that in today's pod with Elsie Wong, a nurse that comes on to talk about COVID. And I'm not saying necessarily that we need to rebel, so to speak, but we do need to stand up for our freedoms. That's very important. So if you're willing and able, I would encourage you all to do so, to fight back against a lot of these mandates that are coming down the wire and to do what we can to support our brothers and sisters that are doing the same. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. Of it, most of it. And they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, yes the Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter day Saints. All right. Joining us on the podcast today is a good friend of mine from way back in the BYU days, which seems like farther and farther all the time now. Uh, who is also currently a nurse, used to work in the ICU, correct? Correct. Not anymore. But I wanted to bring you on to get your opinion on some things. Elsie Wong, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Give us a little bit of your background, if you can. Hi, guys. So um, I went to BYU Nursing School, Uh, graduated 2012, Um, got a job working nights, um, in like an ICU cluster. So I would work all the ICUs. I had, um, cardiac ICU was my home, but I worked all the ICUs that were in our region pretty much. Um, and then I also worked in our step down unit. So I now work in what's called the PACU or PACU post anesthesia care unit. Um, I help people wake up safely from surgery. Um, Mm. So we have been impacted quite a bit with everything that's going on, but yeah, that's me. For sure. All right. And you, you left the ICU around what time? 
about three and a half years ago. Okay. So are you pretty... Nights. I worked nights. Work I was nights. tired. Real tired. Yeah, I bet. I bet. So. Are you still... You're still pretty connected in the loop when it comes to like the COVID stuff, which is definitely what I want to talk about for the most part today yes, and kind of get your definitely. take on that. Um, I have a leadership role within my unit. So nice. I do hear and see a lot of things and we've had to redeploy a lot of nurses to go help in the ICU. And I work closely with a lot of the ICU nurses still and have had a handful of ICU nurses actually come down and work with me and pack you now. So I definitely, definitely kind of still have my foot in there. So, so what's the overall sentiment of COVID and just kind of the nurses and, I mean, we're just specifically now we're seeing a big spike in Utah and I'm curious, is it just kind of this, are people starting to be at their wits end when it comes to get the vaccine, like stop being dumb, stupid, selfish, whatever word they want to throw out. Like, I mean, obviously I came out a month or two or a month or so ago talking about how I don't feel like I need to get vaccinated, which I would love her opinion on because I had COVID. I don't feel the need. Uh, the studies I've seen have said that my antibodies should actually be stronger than anything a vaccine could give me. So a couple things. I think the biggest sentiment of kind of how nurses and physicians and respiratory therapists and housekeepers and everyone is we're really tired. We're, we're tired. We're run down. And when people are like, oh, what can we do for you? I'm like, honestly, pray that I have a desire to go to work and I can put on a happy face and I can push through this because it is exhausting. Um, especially for those nurses who work frontline on the COVID floors in the COVID ICU, they're seeing death and suffering every day more than we've seen before. Okay. Like when H1N1 was around, I was in the ICU, you know, we, we had an increase of patients, but it waned. It, It went away. And, you know, Whereas this has been going on for almost, I mean, a little over 18 months, and it's constant. The death is constant. The suffering is constant. These patients aren't getting better. You know, maybe they're getting stable enough to be able to be sent to like a long-term acute care facility, but Mm. they're on feeding tubes. They have a tracheostomy breathing tube now. You know, they and this is all these are all ramifications from COVID. It's not it's not underlying issues plus COVID or underlying issues. A lot of it is. So I think first round, first round of things when it first happened, it was a lot of people with comorbidities and those comorbidities still stand true today. And by comorbidity, you mean like kind of pre-existing health conditions? Yeah. Obesity, uh, cardiac history some respiratory condition that you have, asthma, whatever it may be, having those definitely puts you more at risk just in general. Sure. This time around where the older generation has, you know, more proportionately been vaccinated, we're seeing younger and younger and younger patients. Like I, think I actually wanted to ask you about that specifically. Um, we, uh, we're starting to see kind of this narrative that like kids should be vaccinated and things like that. But when you say younger and younger patients, are these patients just not vaccinated primarily? And what, 
and they're coming in the hospital and is it like dire situations where their life is genuinely on the line? I don't mean, and I don't say this as like a challenge. Like I legitimately am curious. Like I, I don't know. So, there's all so sorts of negatives out have, there right now. You have, there are going to be some people who are vaccinated who still end up in the ICU, right? Like these vaccines are not a hundred percent preventative. Mm-hmm. The goal of the vaccine is to prevent severe disease and hospitalization and overrun hospitals, what we're seeing right now, right? That doesn't mean that you're not going to get mild cases of it. That doesn't mean that you're not going to get sick, but hopefully you're not going to get sick enough that it causes you to have to be hospitalized and in the ICU for three weeks. Sure. Right? Yeah. I've heard that. Sorry. So keep for going. Instance, in, in Europe, the EU has done a pretty good job on creating and promoting a, some good messaging behind vaccines and the disease right? Like, I don't think the U.S. did themselves any favors by the way they messaged things out. They politicized it, right? Say that again. Right? They politicized it, it seems like. Yeah. So, like, even from the beginning, like, hey, we want you guys to know that this is coming and this is something that we're seeing and we don't know enough about it to be able to tell you everything about it. But we know this. We'd like you to stay safe. We want you to stay home. We don't know the ramifications of what's coming, right? Right. And just be honest and transparent. Whereas, you know, it didn't really happen. And then even when the vaccine came out, like, personally, the narrative right now is natural immunity doesn't matter. You need to get vaccinated. Which, if you know anything about science and if you talk to anyone who's in the medical field, they'll tell you a little bit differently. Really? So what would you say to me specifically? Okay. Yeah, let's get let's just talk about that right now. So so let's just talk about the immune system in general. Our immune systems are pretty freaking amazing. Okay. Now, when you go get tested for antibody levels, that's just testing one part of your immune system. Okay. So someone who got super, 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 super sick probably has some pretty robust antibodies. Whereas someone maybe who had a milder case might not have as robust of antibodies, but they've got memory immune cells that if they were to come across COVID again, they would be able to do a pretty good job of keeping that person safe using, you know, mounting an immune response. Okay. Right. Now it's hard to gauge how good of an immune response someone's going to have. So right now the data is showing, okay, if you, if you've had COVID and it's probably been a year, it would be a good idea to go get at least one shot just to make sure that your immune system is staying kind of ramped up because those, you know, things wax and wane. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I knew that. Yeah. yeah. But, but like what's happening in New York where they just fired 70,000 healthcare workers, housekeepers, dietitians, nurses, respiratory therapists, all that. Why, why don't those people get a chance to say, hey, I have COVID. I have had COVID. Yeah. Why not give them an antibody test? That's what I was wondering. Well, not even antibody test, but just saying, here's a document and I have documented COVID right here. Well, so, but an I antibody test solves that problem though, right? It's like, hey, take an, if you want to keep your job, keep take an antibody test and yeah. prove to us that you are at a level that is equivalent or greater than getting a vaccination, which is really the goal, right? Yeah. I mean, the only way we get through this pandemic is immunity. Okay. So either immunity through vaccination and a little bit of death and suffering or a lot of death and suffering and not so much 
immunization. And I think right now, like in Idaho, what they're seeing is a lot of death and suffering, which I think is frustrating for people because potentially a lot of that could be prevented or people wouldn't be as sick, you know? Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, no, I get that. And I understand the frustration there where it's like you guys are trying to help people and, and you don't like having to address people that are suffering when you, you, you essentially would make the argument that in large part is preventable. Yes. For the majority. It sounds yeah. like. And, and is I'll that say this much, all these opinions are my own, but sure. Yeah. I have, I've literally had patients who I'm acting as a liaison for because their family member has COVID and they're telling me that it's not COVID. And that the only reason that I'm telling them it's COVID is to make my numbers go up and to make sure. And, and that sucks. Yeah, that would suck. What other, what other health disease, health, um, whatever it is, heart attack, stroke, would you go up to the doctor who's literally studied 12, 15 years about this and say, no, it's not. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like well, I, I was going to say, that not only that, oh, I'm sure it does. I was just going to say, I was going to sympathize here with you for a second, because not only that, I know you well enough to know that you are not agenda driven, certainly not in this regard. And politics aside, I am very aware of where your values lie, where you stand. And it does not typically, I would just say your ideologies do not run in concert typically with those that are trying to push this narrative that um, everybody get vaccinated, everybody do this, that, the other. Yeah, if, if I'm and not like mistaken. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a. Um, everyone needs to get vaccinated. Let's shove it down your throat. I'm a. Okay, let's look at the data. Let's look at what's going on. Let's talk to people who understand this better than I do, and let's and let's have them help me understand this. Okay, because I was hesitant when the vaccine first came out. So what did I do? Sat down, read the papers. I'm luckily, I'm lucky enough to be able to have the expertise to be able to look at the numbers and yeah. understand what they're saying, which not everyone has. Um, and then I talked to people who I trust. I talked to all of our intensivists that are working in the ICUs managing these patients. I talked to a bunch of anesthesiologists, infectious disease doctors, people who are honestly smarter than I am. I went to nursing school. I have a pretty good knowledge, but they've got even better. They went to even more school. They have a better understanding. Sit down, talk to them, say, hey, here are my concerns. Here are my questions. And we can have a conversation about it. But when people are going to Joe Rogan and saying, oh, no, this is what Joe Rogan said. Well, Joe Rogan's not a doctor. Mm -hmm. Would you trust Joe Rogan if you had a heart attack? Would you want to go to him and have him treat your heart attack? So I think people are forgetting to go to places that they trust for information. What do you think about what do you think about his experience with COVID and how he treated it with what he claims was a friend of his who is a doctor and using ivermectin and things like that? So I'll say this much. There have been a handful of studies that have come out with ivermectin and I'm not going to dispute it. I'm not going to discount it. But right now the studies have shown that it, can be can be helpful but it's not like everyone should get this and it's going to help all of them gotcha it's not necessarily come out wide-ranging 
Yeah, there have been a few studies that come out that have been retracted because they falsified data. You with the use of ivermectin. Yes, which is highly unfortunate. Which doesn't make it look good. Like if ivermectin no, of course is a commercial drug, then yes, let's study it. And there are places that are doing studies with it right now. But preliminary data says it, it's not this miracle drug. What mm-hmm. I think we need. And where we should be pushing our money, in my opinion, is developing an antiviral. So for flu, if you get severe influenza and need to go to the hospital, if it's within a certain amount of time, we can give you something called Tamiflu, which is an antiviral, which helps the virus from replicating and making mm. you more sick. I mean, that that's going to be our miracle drug. Yeah. COVID. But right now, there's not enough consistency, at least from what I've read. For, okay, if a patient comes in with this, these types of symptoms, this is how we treat it, and they'll get better in three weeks or whatever it is. Everyone's different. Mm-hmm. The level of severity is different, and they all come with different symptoms, and it's pretty sad to see, to be honest. But I would even agree. Okay, like, you can't Joe necessarily. Rogan, so, sorry. Joe Rogan no, has access and a lot of money. Yes, I was going to talk about along those, along and those lines. And that's a huge discrepancy, right? He's also very fit, like in very yeah. good shape. Now, granted, he doesn't take care of his body the best in terms of like drug use and alcohol and things like that. But um, he works out all yeah. the time. So I like, he, and he has a lot of money. So he has eating. access to all these things. Yeah, right? it's that's fair. But on the flip side, and I think you'd agree with me here, but in, and if not, that's fine. Um, it doesn't help that the media says it's a it's a horse dewormer. Because even though it has been used for that, it wasn't, from what I understand, it was invented to first help humans and type infection type things, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so they use it a lot in third world countries. Helps prevent, you know, where parasites are way more prevalent, you know, conditions that they live in. So to to say Joe Rogan is taking horse dewormer is just like you're also discrediting yourself in that regard because it it has a history of being more than that and used for more than that. Yeah. Is that fair? Also, the other thing is, is what's funny is ivermectin's not this just like drug that has no side effects and no contraindications. Like if you go and look at ivermectin, it has a very long list of contraindications. Why you wouldn't want to take something, right? So yeah. if you just have people out there who are just, oh, I got COVID, I'm going to take this, but they have underlying heart problems, they could make themselves sicker, which again... Go to a doctor that you trust, have a conversation with them, and let them help treat you, right? If they think ivermectin is going to help you, then great. But don't just go and buy it and take it because you could potentially be harming yourself more unknowingly. Because it's not like Joe Rogan came out and said, the reason I was able to take ivermectin because I don't have congestive heart failure, I don't have AFib, I don't have all these things, so it was safe for me to take. Mm, right. Just That's true. I'm just going to take it. But again, yeah, he, he did say he consulted with his own doctor friend, but you're right. He was not, he did not say, be careful, look into this and like, yeah, consult. because ivermectin itself yeah. has side effects, just like everything else does. Tylenol has side effects. If yeah. you take Tylenol that's like four years expired, it has high levels of things in it that you wouldn't want to take. So, like, I mean, everything has its. Well, I'll even I'll even be the first to admit that it's funny that I'm like I'm definitely not anti-vax. I think I've made that clear. Like I think anti-vax. Well, in my definition, anti-vax means 
I don't want to take it, nor should anybody else. It's evil, terrible, conspiracy, whatever, whatever, this, that, or the other. I definitely don't classify myself in that group. Maybe others would say just by the fact that I don't feel the need to get the vaccine makes me anti-vax. I guess it comes down to how you define it. The way I see it is I'm not anti-vax because I have friends and family that are all taking the vaccine and I couldn't be happier for them because they feel safe with that. I don't feel the necessity, so why? But And the part of the hesitation is why put more things into my body if I don't need to, at least for now. Yeah. Now, the ironic thing behind that, though, is that, like I'll take pre-workout. Yeah. Like, I'll, take, mm-hmm. I'll drink energy drinks. Like <laughs> I'll put all sorts of other crap in my body. And I'm like, well, don't seem to care about that or think twice about that. And all these things do have long-term effects. Like I think that's what's so amazing about the word of wisdom is that ultimately it's saying, we need to be as healthy as possible so that we are prepared against these things like a pandemic, for example, not getting overweight, all that stuff, um, watching what we put into our bodies on a general level. And then when the prophet says, well, you can get the vaccine because maybe part of the issues people are having with the vaccine is the fact that they're not very careful about other stuff they're putting in their body. That's just a hypothesis. I'm definitely not saying that, but it's just there's a lot of different variables and moving parts at play here. It's it's fascinating to me. But I, do you guys have numbers on how, like, the, the majority of the patients, because I get the numbers every day on these numbers, not not the ones I'm about to ask you about, well, but the my, numbers like... Yeah, so my hospital system comes out uh, every other day, every day, I'm not sure on what the pictures look like. How many people are in the hospital for COVID? What percentage are vaccinated? How many How many deaths? How many are in the ICU? How many are on ventilators? Stuff like that. So, and and here's the thing: I think people forget this. When people are like, "What do you mean your ICU is at a hundred and ten percent capacity?" Like that's not possible. I'm like, well, let me tell you something. Our ICU usually functions at eighty five percent capacity. Okay, because I've heard that. Yeah, we save two beds for a handful of things. Okay. If someone within the hospital were to have a cardiac arrest or a respiratory arrest, they need to be put in the ICU. We have a bed for them. Say you get in this terrible, awful car accident and you need to be in the ICU. We have a bed for that. Right now, as it stands, we don't have a bed for that. We are making a bed for that. We are sending patients out of the ICU before they're actually ready to leave the ICU potentially, because guess what? There's someone sicker that mm-hmm. needs this bed. So no, and that does sound awful. Ago, two years ago, you would have stayed in the ICU for three more days. 2021, yeah. sorry, you have to go to the floor. And those nurses that they're might not, not necessarily for it. be trained yeah. to take care of an acute critical patient now have to take care of you. It does kind of shine a light, though, on hospital infrastructure, and it kind of makes you think, is there something we could do moving forward that makes these beds and these situations more adaptable? Now, I understand there's a human component here that you have to get these people trained to a certain level in order to yeah. attend to these victims, to these patients. But it's, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's an interesting conversation. I I think on the flip side, too, when you come out and say we're at 100% or we're at 105%, whatever, it's a little misleading as well, because as you said, you're basically always from like 80 to 90. And so don't get me wrong. That's with the assumption that there's not going to be a pandemic. And when there is, then like, boom, that obviously, obviously maximizes to 100%. But 
anyway, I did want to ask you, or sorry, did you want to respond to that? So, so here's kind of how an ICU works, right? And, and why people are concerned that people are still coming in very sick with COVID. Okay. So we have people come in all the time, heart attacks, car accidents, trauma cases, GI bleeds, strokes, uh, need brain surgery, all these things, right? You can't really plan for a lot of those things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if I'm going to have a heart attack tomorrow, but I hope that if I have a heart attack that I can go to the hospital and get some care. Okay. So our ICU, I mean, I don't know the real numbers, but let's say our ICU last year or two years ago this time was at 70% capacity. Okay. Without COVID. Mm-hmm. Now you have a massive influx of patients who are really sick. And and I'm and I'm not talking like sick for a day or two. I'm talking sick for a few weeks. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they're occupying 50% of our beds for three weeks. Okay. So now our our availability to have more beds for all these other things that are gonna come in is now less. And so that puts pressure on the nurses, that puts pressure on the doctors, stuff like that. So when people are like, well, I mean, that's not true. Like the ICU always operates at this much. It's like, yes. And now we have on top of that an influx of COVID. So now we even have more pressure. So yeah, I, I, I think sometimes people don't really understand that. Like I'm not saying the ICU is completely full of COVID patients. It has been, but like right now it's maybe 60% COVID and 40% not, 45% not. Okay. So just think about if, if that 60% of COVID wasn't there, how many more beds we would have and the availability to have. For sure. For sure. And you obviously can't prep a hospital around a pandemic. You can't say just in case a pandemic rolls around, we're going to have this on reserve. I get that. But Um, and that's why we had to cancel all elective admission surgeries. Right. Yeah. Because we really weren't sure our bed situation. Like I would leave the hospital and we would have 10 beds open and on the in the tower and i'd come back and we have two yeah and so uh, yeah no that makes sense uh so i'm i get the numbers every day uh ksl sends them to me sometimes they piss me off just because i some i don't really care to see this but um obviously we are in a spike in utah yes. specifically do you have the numbers of how many of those people are unvaccinated versus vaccinated um, hold on. Because if I'm not mistaken, it is interesting to see that we have more people vaccinated now than we did last year. But the numbers, the hospitalizations, those are going up. As far as I know, deaths haven't quite matched what it was, at least no, percentage wise. No, like, well, like deaths, yeah. deaths have gone down still yeah. for the most part. Um, but it's still not great, obviously. And so like I was curious one to two people die a day in our ICU from COVID. Right. So doesn't, my mean, question is, but that's per hospital, right? Or your hospital specifically. So yeah, I mean, I'm, for the state I'm, of Utah, it's in the teens now, I think, which yes. is terrible. Like that's awful. But I, there's this narrative going around that like hospitalizations are spiking, even though the vaccine is more prevalent. And they're just like, what's the deal with that? Like, is it tied to the vaccine that people are getting so so sick, they have to go to the hospital? So if you look over in, um, I don't have the chart, but I I read the study last week. 
But so here's two contrasting countries, right? Australia. They went lockdown. They went full-blown lockdown. But what they didn't do is get people immune, right? Mm -hmm. So their immunization standpoint is maybe 35%, okay? And their cases are through the roof. Their hospitalizations are through the roof. And their deaths are increasing. Because when they put everyone in lockdown, they were like, oh, well, that's going to save the day. Well, that doesn't give people immunity to sit at home, right? Right amongst all the other things but right. it doesn't give them immunity and they didn't they didn't encourage or message the vaccine well enough that now people are a lot of people are getting sick and they're having what we felt maybe in March 2020 okay in Europe they have a higher vaccination rate maybe like 75% and they have a, an increase in cases a lot of cases is it proportional to what their cases were last year i haven't looked at that Hmm. But because like, that's kind of the part of the narrative going around. It's not a narrative. Sorry, it's some people saying we have more people vaccinated, but we we still have more hospitalizations than last year. Like, what gives? You know, it doesn't add yeah. up. But I mean, I guess if you were to sit there and actually crunch the numbers, look how many people got COVID, how many cases, what percentage of that of the population? Okay, so now you have what 20 percent of the population now has, now has immunity. Well, and the infection rate too is different yeah. with the Delta variant, which is also what we're so dealing now with. Now you I have guess, Delta. So which yeah. can cause breakthrough infection. But the 80% of the people that didn't get COVID the first time around are now susceptible to it. Mm. So now they're all going to get Delta or whatever it may be. And so right. those numbers are still high. But in Europe, the vaccination rate's pretty high. Their case numbers are high, but their hospitalizations are staying pretty just baseline. Gotcha. So we're not seeing this huge increase in hospitalizations. All right. So as we close out here, I really thank you for coming on, by the way. Thanks for taking the time. Um, I hear your, I hear your little girl in the background. Uh, so I feel like I'm, that's me being a monster, taking her oh, mom sorry. away from her. <laughs> um, what, uh, say your health czar, right? You are the health czar. You're Dr. Fauci or whatever. No, not Dr. Fauci. Say you have more control than Dr. Fauci. What are the policies you would implement, if any, when it comes to combating the idea of safety versus security, because that's something that's been on my mind a lot. I do wonder kind of at what point are we willing to give up our security for safety or sorry, sorry, sorry. Really what I mean is freedom versus security because security and safety are essentially synonymous freedom versus security. At what point are you willing to give up your freedom for more secure, for a more secure country? And how does that play into this COVID stuff with regulations and mandates? So, I don't love the idea of a mandate, period. In the any mandate, regard? Okay. Well, the mandate the way that they have it presented right now, okay? Because that mandate, you there's like almost no exclusions. There's no option for if you don't. So like, for instance, at my hospital, if you don't, everyone's required to get the flu vaccine every year, okay? Mm. If you don't get the flu vaccine, you're required to wear a mask for pretty much all of winter. So the six months from like... November. Has that always been in place? Yes. For okay. as long as you've been now, there. Now, Yeah. So now obviously wow. like everyone's wearing a mask no matter what, right? So right. if I have yeah. an allergy to eggs, if, if someone has an allergy to eggs, you should not get vaccinated. Now they are coming out with a plant-based um, vaccine, which has the trials have been pretty good for COVID, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. But if... 
if I have had a severe reaction to a vaccine in the past, I should have a choice to be able to still work, but keep myself safe and not be forced to do something that I know is definitely going to harm myself. And at least from what I've read, I mean, there are really no exclusions right now. Like, what if you have an autoimmune disease? What if you have some form of cancer or have had cancer and now you're in remission or, or whatever that may be? I still feel like people should be able to go to their doctors or whatever. And the doctor says, you know, what? I, as much as I want you to get it, I don't think it's safe for you to get it right now. Like I have a yeah. coworker who has a lot of underlying autoimmune rheumatoid issues and she's been in touch with her rheumatologist and he's just like, you know what? I obviously keep yourself safe, wear a mask, but I don't, I, I don't think you can get it right now because I'm not sure what it will do with all your medications and all this other stuff. Right. So the way it stands like within New York, okay, so she's fired. Mm-hmm. So now I, my, now her whole unit is burdened now. Now she, now we have to find a nurse to fill her spot or someone has to pick up an extra shift or whatever it may be. So like, why, why can we not have just honest, open conversations and say, we're mandating it, but here are some things that we can talk about. If you have any of these or, or whatever it is, then that's okay. But we want you to stay safe. You have to wear a mask which we all have to do right now. So it's hard for me because it is very daunting to see what COVID has done and is continuing to do. And I don't feel comfortable kind of taking away someone's choice to whether or not they want to get the vaccine. But I also want to make sure that they're getting good information and being able to ask the questions that they need, that they have without being ashamed or, or guilt or thrown on the bus or bullied or whatever it may be. Like if people have real concerns, then go talk to people that you trust that know in the medical field that know what they're talking about and, and get your questions answered. But so, okay. But if you don't want to get fine, you don't want to get the vaccine. That's fine. So do what you can to keep yourself safe. Right. Right. Like, I don't care if it's COVID. I don't care if it's food poisoning, diarrhea, the flu, the cold. I don't want you over at my house if you're sick. If you're sick, sure. stay home. And and as much as I thought that people would learn that with COVID, like my mother-in-law at the beginning of the month came over to my house and knowingly exposed all of us. Oh, geez. And like, I mean, that's just selfish and just not nice, but if you don't want to get back, your mother-in-law doesn't listen to this podcast. No, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just, there is a level of like, okay, I think it's so hard to like, where do we draw that line? But you wouldn't mandate it. That's your ultimate stance. You wouldn't mandate it. I would, it like- I would do like we do the flu, like, like any it sounds like you, okay so ultimately it sounds like you'd leave that up for individual companies right you'd leave that yes. up I, would, for, I would not make every company that has over 100 employees mandate the vaccine yeah I would gotcha. say, here's the data here's what we think here's our suggestion but you may proceed as you'd like i just it's just as fascinating to me how much we've lost the whole idea of assumed risk right there's an assumed risk 
yeah there's and you have to take on society right with so, yeah with bo- both ways with everything with like everything. driving driving to work every day exactly, exactly. um but um, that that's what freaks me out more than anything is just like the idea of control and coming back to Joe Rogan like there was this little clip that's been shared of him lately and I'm not necessarily a Joe Rogan sycophant but I do at least like that he's willing to die on this hill that like stop taking away my freedoms especially yeah. in the name of security because he goes on this whole thing about how you know governments like almost never give back freedom once they take it. And so once we're entering into the territory of mandating this, mandating that, you're kind of like, how, how, is, how is it that people are not fighting against this? And it, I'm at least glad that healthcare workers such as yourself still understand that concept, even though you're seeing the devastation and are personally experience, experiencing all the horrific aspects of COVID personally up front like that. And I can't appreciate you enough, but thank you again for your thoughts, your opinions, and coming on and taking the time to share that all on this podcast, Elsie. Seriously. Yeah, no problem. And I mean, like I said, I mean, I'm grateful that my, the hospital system that I work for has not come out and mandated it. But I mean, yeah. And and they're, and they're thoughtful in the way they message that and they're thoughtful in how they should proceed. So say they do mandate it, mandate it. But if it's anything like our flu vaccine mandate, there are things like if there are things that you can do. If 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 you don't want the COVID vaccine, Kate, then you are required, no matter what, you have to wear a mask all the time. You know what I mean? To keep yourself yeah. safe. Sure. You know. Okay. Well, thanks again, Else. It was great catching up with you. I wish you the best to your beautiful family and everything, and that you and your mother in law will make a, make amends here soon enough. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Of course. All right, Elsie, you have a good one. We'll stay in touch, all right? Thank you. You.